Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio. And I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we've got an amazing guest today, somebody that uh, as soon as we started this podcast, I was telling John, I really, really want to have this guy on, and that's none other than Jay Leak. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks. Amazing. I don't know if that's the right word to describe it, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> so, Jay, you, you have uh, one of the coolest backgrounds, I think, of, of people that we bring on our podcast. And you have a, a great compliment of, you know, this hands-on technical operator uh, up into what you're doing today as a venture capitalist investor. Uh, could you give our listeners a little bit of background about how you came up and what it is that you do today? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I cut my teeth as a consultant back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I went on to run security globally, corporate security globally at Nokia internationally at Equifax. Back then it was the only credit bureau that hadn't been breached. Um, <laughs> and then I went on to be the first CISO in private equity where I was a CISO uh, at Blackstone. Um, and there I got the opportunity to work with all of our portfolio companies as well in their security strategy and uh, led our early stage cybersecurity investing off the balance sheet. And then in 2017, I started my first fund called Clear Sky Security. Uh, that fund's done very well. And then last year, one of my partners is also a 20-year, four-time CISO, um, Patrick Heim. He and I started Send Ventures. And so over the last uh, 18 months or so, we've raised $500 bucks across two funds. And we invest in the best, the brightest, and the most exciting early-stage cybersecurity startups in the world. And, uh, you know, excited. Uh, it, it's... I'm excited to trade uh, fighting the Russians, Chinese, and the the North Koreans with uh, wondering what 35 CEOs are doing with my money every day. <laughs> it's not really my money. It's money that really, really important people have trusted me with to give to those CEOs. Yeah, exactly. too. So, you know, so it's a different set of problems, but it's one that makes me sleep slightly better at night. So. <laughs> I can imagine. Jay. So, and it's, it's like Brian said, it's so interesting because you, you came up, as you said, as a consultant, and then you were a CISO. And, and what's interesting is your time at, at Blackstone, you worked with other companies, portfolio companies. When you when you look at kind of what you're doing today, right, with Sin Ventures and your, your other ventures, is it kind of equal benefit of the CISO side and having that interaction with those other portfolio companies that kind of gives you the insight you need to do what you do? Um, so I think it's... I'll sum up a little differently. So the answer is kind of yes to that question, but maybe slightly mm -hmm. different angle. So, you know, what's what's really different about us and Sen and, and kind of my background is, you know, Patrick and I are the only two former Fortune 500 CISOs full-time in a venture partnership, the only guys that started a fund. And, you know, Patrick and I summed it up one day, like he and I collectively have procured somewhere around a half a billion dollars of security technologies you know, throughout our careers, like directly, I'm not talking about what our broader teams even did, like just mm -hmm. within our, within our, you know, hands-on kind of direct procurement. And so with that, we have a lot of like scar tissue. We have successes, fortunately, as well. Um, mm -hmm. We have a lot of knowings on, you know, what are the gotchas in, you know, compliance and privacy and HR with your DevOps teams or your infrastructure team or developers and where the rubs are and all this kind of stuff. And so, 
we get to really kind of bring this voice of the customer, I think, into the boardroom, if you will, into the investment strategy. Um, and if you look at our portfolio, you know, we don't expect like anyone's going to come and look at the Centenetrics portfolio and go and just procure that as their security program. But as we're putting this together, we very much think about it as we're building a security mm. program. And what are the best of breed technologies in these different categories uh, that we would want to deploy if we were saying CISO? And then what we've done is we've set up a CISO board of advisors with kind of the five percenters, if you will, you know, the, the forward thinking CISOs in the industry, mm-hmm. really. And we work with those companies closely and helping them think through their security strategies, what their needs are, whether we invest in companies or not. And we get to be an advisor, but don't have any accountability day to day for the operations, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of help a lot of some of the biggest, you know, companies in the world, some of the brightest CISOs in the world. We get to learn from them and get to work with them and, and help them, you know, figure out, you know, unique problems need to be solved and how to connect them with, with emerging technology to do that. So in a way, I would say, you know, we kind of feel like we're the next evolution, you know, of kind of our CISO careers where we're still very much engaged and involved in the CISO community, whether you're on our board of advisors or not, you know, please reach out to me or to Patrick anytime. You know, we're here to help people like, you know, solve problems. Like we know how hard it was when we were sitting in the seat for years. And the reason why we were successful is because we had great people to help us solve problems. I'm not putting myself into the great people category. Let's be clear about that. But we had, you know, people that could really, really, really help us think through things. And, and mm-hmm. we get the opportunity to help people think through things as well. Um, and I think that's really what has made us successful. Because if you look not just at Patrick and I, but the broader team, we're all operators turned investors. Everyone in our team is either current or former CISO, former CEO of a mostly the publicly traded or very large security company, you know, or former founder uh, uh-huh. of a company uh-huh. that has, you know, billion dollar exits and stuff. And so we, um, we very much are kind of operators understanding, you know, really what the pro- problem is because we dealt with it for many years. And then we try to bring that into um, our investment thesis and then try to connect the dots with people who have those needs as well and do it very surgically. So we're not just like, creating more spam and noise in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, Jay, when you and your team look at the the vast landscape of cybersecurity companies, uh, those that have, you know, they're, they're just up and coming, you know, they might be based in the US or Israel or somewhere in Europe or Asia or wh- wherever it is, you get, you have a purview into pretty much everything. I, I can't ever remember asking you about a company where you didn't have some level of insight. And I'm wondering, is there a specific formula you and Patrick apply when you're looking at these organizations and you're trying to determine uh, what's, you know, do they have the right, right package? Is the, is it the right product or leadership team or market timing is, you know, how, how do you, I guess, see through all the noise to get to the really relevant aspects to say, yes, this is a company I'd like to invest in or nope, this isn't right for us just because you do see so many. Yeah. So for starters, I mean, just to kind of give you a, a, a glimpse into it, we we invest in somewhere between one and a half to 2% of the companies we meet per year. Um, it's pretty consistent uh, for years. We, we track it. It's actually a, it's a metric that we, we follow pretty carefully. If we go above the 2%, kind of almost wonder, you know, are we doing something wrong, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Wow. Um, and so that means we'll meet over 500 companies that we never met before this year alone as an example. And so um, it's a lot. And um, 
you know, so that one is just getting the reps in and, and it's, it's unfortunate for some people, but sometimes in the first five or 10 minutes, we know this isn't going to go anywhere. Two first two minutes, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and then if you get through a 30 minute meeting and you go on to the next one, doesn't mean it's going to go somewhere, but like that's meaningful though, actually, you know, cause there's not a lot of, there's not a lot to kind of get to that next level. Um, so that's one, just putting in the reps Two, though, from a, uh, there are a number of ways to answer the question that you're getting at. Um, one is purely from like an investment kind of thesis perspective, we would we summarize our investments at the highest level into the three T's. There's team, TAM, and technology, total of trustful market, technology, and team. Um, we And for the stage in which we invest, an earlier stage side of, of the equation, by team by far is, is number one, period, hmm. without exception. All right. The technology and the TAM, the total addressable market, has to be there. Um, but those are interchangeable in numbers two or three, quite frankly. But if the team isn't number one, then we can't invest. And I can tell you countless times where, you know, it's awesome tech. Uh, the opportunity is huge. And there's no way in hell we're going to set in a board meeting for the next three to five years with this guy. You know? So, mm-hmm. can't invest, you know, which sucks. Uh, but it mm-hmm. happens a lot. Um, as an example. And then if you were to kind of look at it more from a practitioner point of view, um, we arguably have raised over the last five years just under a billion dollars around one fundamental problem, and that's the people issue. There's not enough talent, not enough professionals to solve the the, the growing demand, right? Mm-hmm. And then I would take it a step further and say, even if there were, the you know, our adversaries are using technology to attack us today. So versus five years ago, maybe. And so if you don't have technology to combat technology at software speed, then you're also, you know, behind the, you're, you're behind, uh, even if you had enough people. So you have to use next generation capabilities of technologies in order to be able to defend the enterprise with software as well. It's not just purely a people issue. And so if you think about that as the, the high level problem, that we're trying to solve and we fundamentally believe every aspect of a cybersecurity or information security or whatever you want to call a security program is right to be replaced if you can deploy a next generation piece of technology and you can manage the risk even to the same level but maybe even at a better level but with material less resources okay that then has all kinds of interesting branches around uh that means there's a prevention oriented approach on how we do things, because if you can stop it, you don't need people. If you have to detect and respond to it, that by definition requires people, right? Mm-hmm. That means like pure visibility and not actually leading into being able to do, you know, automated remediation, active defense, and all these kind of things. Like that just creates noise, noise and busy work, right? And by definition, we don't need more busy work because we don't have enough people. You know, that means that automation. Um, is really, really key. And we're not talking about SOAR or whatever. We're talking about automation throughout the whole security program, outside the SOC, everything that you do, right? That means that uh, driving efficiencies through platform plays, meaning, you know, where you often would have multiple technologies to solve a problem, consolidating that into one technology, even at a startup level, so you can drive efficiencies, so you have one throat to choke. It also means that, like, uh, we fundamentally believe that that unless you were born in the cloud in the last 10 years, that you're going to be hybrid in perpetuity. And so you don't have a cloud-oriented and an on-prem or whatever. You have a purpose-built hybrid cloud solution, basically, yeah. to drive efficiency. So there's all kinds of different things like that that go into this efficiencies, operation, and prevention kind of play. 
um, to really help with the people issue. And so these all, you, you know, once we get past the team and say, all right, the team's great. Um, of course, the technology looks pretty solid and yeah, the, the demand is there, the TAM is there, right? All right, now let's start understanding how you start uh, addressing these other buckets. Yeah. Wow, it's incredible. There's so many questions, Brian, we could talk about here even with that. But uh, one of the things, Jay, you had mentioned, and, I've, and we've heard you talk about this before, right? We need more preventative technologies. And and as you said, you build your portfolio kind of like in thinking in terms of how a CISO might want to deploy a security program and the kinds of technologies that they may need. So when you combine that, is it hard, harder today to find the kind of technologies that check all those boxes, the team, the tech, the TAM, and all the stuff. Is it harder today to find preventative technologies that you would consider next generation or the ones, you know, CISOs might really want to deploy? Or is it easier today uh, for so, you? Look, it's not, it, it's gotten, I, it's, let's take a step back there. So I don't know if it's harder or easier. Mm. I would say that there's been a lot of broken promises over the years that yeah. where people, Companies, startups over the last twenty years. To me, as a as a as a security officer, too, the promise they could prevent it. In reality, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Right, and so therefore, we've fallen back to this detect and respond in many aspects of our security programs. Right, because prevention doesn't work. Well, I call BS on that. Technology is catching up. You know, mm-hmm. with a lot of the broken promises, um, and. You know, I think that, you know, we're finally growing in. Many companies are finally having, you know, a large enough data set, curated data sets, training models. They really understand machine learning versus, you know, they're playing with it before. You know, there's, you know, the co- the companies are willing to take on, uh, customers are willing to take on different risks and understanding, you know, really like, you know, what the trade-offs are better than what they were previously and mm-hmm. I do think that prevention is actually uh, very possible in, in many aspects of your security program. Now, is it going to be 100%? No. Mm-hmm. So you do have to fail back to a detect and response sometimes or to alternatives, but that should be the fail mechanism, not the primary mechanism, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, but I do think like if you don't assume that there's going to be some level of uh, detect and respond kind of fail back mechanism, then you're probably, you know, you're... you're you're going to come up and be very disappointed one day because you didn't build those layers of defense in, but you should hundred percent lead with, 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 with prevention, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's very possible. I mean, um, just look at our portfolio if you want, mm-hmm. you see a lot of companies that have the possibility of doing that. That wasn't possible even five years ago, let's say. Yeah. Well, you know, prevention's mm-hmm. always been the, gold standard people try to achieve and well when you what you can't prevent you try to detect and respond but the further you go down that line the more expensive it becomes to your point because you need more and more people added to that equation it just adds to complexity you might not even have those people available uh you know i i've been traveling a lot and and meeting with executives and, and meeting with you know uh, security operations folks you know the middle east and asia europe us all all throughout this year and talking about XIOT or extended internet of things. And the thing that comes up time and time again was we feel like we've been blindsided because we we weren't really thinking about these IoT devices, these printers, these voice over IP phones, these digital door locks or these network devices and wireless access points or these OT SCADA devices as a way to potentially get in and attack our IT assets or attack our cloud assets, these pivot attacks. We just weren't thinking about that. 
But now they wake up one morning and they find out I've got 50,000 of these things in my network. They're woefully insecure. A lot of them have default passwords. And these organizations are getting backdoored left and right. And they're like, what happened? Why, why do you think XIOT just kind of snuck up on everybody? Because it's certainly getting a lot of buzz as of you know 2022, and it certainly will and beyond. But it, it just kind of came out of the shadows. It, you know, and why, why is that, do you think? So I mentioned that we have a CISO board of advisors we established back in 2017. And um, if I were to pull out, we meet every single October, actually. And we meet in October because it's deep enough into the planning cycle for the next year uh, that you can bring kind of your plans and what you're thinking about the next year. But you're not so far along that you can't influence the roadmap for the next year as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so it's very deliberate. And we do it across industry. And it's the diversity is diversity of industries, people too, but largely of, of industry. So we can bring different types of thinking across industry together, collaborate and have knowledge sharing of how to solve various problems um, in a different way because, you know, you usually get group think because retail meets with retail, financial services meets with financial services, healthcare meets with healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. And then if I were to dust off a slide from 2017, October of 2017, we somehow or another across 12 Fortune 500 CISOs across 12 different industries agreed on what the top five initiatives for 2018 were, Okay. And um, and they all have different iterations and variations of what they were doing, but a fundamental high level, these were like the five areas. Four of the five had very clear paths on what they were going to do. The fifth one was IoT security. Okay, <laughs> and it's crazy because what we wrote in 2017 is we need a we need a way, a nomenclature, or some kind of language to describe it in a unified way. And in order to be able to have any hope of protecting this, and we need to figure out how to secure it, not just tell us it exists mm-hmm. and speculate on the problems, but big capital, but we have no freaking clue how to solve this problem. Yeah. Right. right. And so we spent the next five years meeting with 50 some odd companies, uh, half in Israel probably. Um, but all around the world, uh, not just in Israel and the U.S. and whatnot, um, trying to figure out who was thinking about this problem that way. And literally all 50 companies until we met Phosphorus were thinking about discovering some assets, telling you about something anomalous they thought about this asset that was interesting to you for you to go manually run down to find out you didn't give a shit about it. <laughs> okay. And multiply that times, you know, 50,000 devices as you use when I only have 5,000 people, it's a lot of freaking work. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was, is that it became this insurmountable effort, basically. And unless some compliance regulation told me I had to do it, why do I want to do a discovery and anomaly detection for something I don't care about? Mm -hmm. Right. And so you got a lot of broken promises. So there's probably been more venture dollars put into IoT security companies than there is revenue across the whole industry today, you know, over the last five or 10 years. Um, That's changing significantly. Don't get me wrong. And there are some players that have, you know, merged, such as you guys, especially. Um, But the key here is that there's no one else in the world that we know of that's doing remediation and prevention, actually fixing the problem. Yeah. So now I didn't yeah. give you your plug. I wasn't trying to give you your plug, but it's true. It's the reason why is the reason why we're talking here today, you know. Mm-hmm. But it literally took us about four years 
to find a solution to a problem that we identified a long time ago. Granted, these are the CISOs that are thinking far ahead here. You know, and it, I always we always worry about the when we think about our board of advisors, we we want to think like a year to eighteen months ahead. Thinking four years ahead is really usually bad for a venture bet. <laughs> but fortunately, we didn't make a wrong bet, and we were patient until we found the right bet to make. Right? So. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, Jay, because you know, like sometimes I step back and look at the billions of dollars that have been invested in advertising for technologies that basically tell you what you have, but don't really fix anything. And it's, it, I think sometimes is it, is it accurate to say that that can affect how CISOs think about this solution when they're hearing, you know, for years with all the dollars getting poured into companies that don't quite potentially fix it, but will sure as hell find it for you and tell you how bad it is. Um, is that have an impact on CISOs in their reasoning? Ah, that's all we can do is just discover. We can't go fix it. Is that a mindset? It, it does. What it does is it causes – so here's the thing. A CISO's got, let's say, 100 things to do. Mm-hmm. They can only probably get 10 of them done, right? Whether mm-hmm. Even if they have a budget to do 50, they probably only have the bandwidth to get 10 done. Let's just yeah. be honest with ourselves, yeah. right? So you're constantly juggling risks. And so people are like, how can they accept the risk? It's like, they're not accepting the risk. That's a risk along with 100 other risks. They're only going to get to 10 of them this year, yeah. right? So they got 90 others along with it, right? And so I'm a big believer. There's there's these like strategic initiatives that like if I don't do it, we're going to go out of business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's these low-hanging fruit initiatives that like this isn't going to put me out of business, but it's in my top 20 list. And if I can bang that thing out relatively easy – all of a sudden, it becomes number one or number two for me, actually. But mm. in reality, it was number 20 because I figure out a way to take that risk and just eliminate it. I don't have to worry about it anymore, right? And and that only happens whenever you're able to remediate something and you're able to actively defense, defend against it and you're able to like affect active defense remediation before I have a problem equals prevention to me, right? Yeah. So, and, and if I can put it in that bucket then all of a sudden it bumps up from whatever it may be, you know? Um, and you also, what's happening is we would always start the year with here are the top 10 things they're going to do. And I guarantee you there are things in the top, you know, bottom five and things in the top 25 that shift throughout the year. Mm. I mean, every year for five years, my prior firm, I had a mobile security project in the top 10 and every year for five years, it dropped out of the top 10, right? (laughs) Or I ever got to it, right? Because, you know, in theory, it's a big issue. Everyone's got it. That's how they're doing business. 70% of emails checked on the mobile. You got to figure there's probably something to do here. And then in reality, you know, ransomware is a bigger problem. Okay, let's go deal with that. Yeah. So, so does it mean that just a quick follow up that if CISOs understand they could address this problem pretty efficiently, effectively, in a preventative way, so it's proactive and it kind of works. That may, like you said, that will say bring it up into the some projects are going to do. I 100 percent believe so. Okay. You know, and, and I've spoken to you know many of uh, of your customers, and, and that's exactly what they told me. They're like, "Look, you know, I love. I'm speaking on behalf of insert Fortune 500 CISO name, right? Um, like, I love what Phosphorus does because I deploy it and." I, you know, it eliminates the risk and I don't have to worry about it anymore. And I can go focus on things that aren't that easy to solve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's really what's important here because it's a big risk. It's a huge exposure, but yet we've just accepted it for the past 10, 20, 30 years. Now, I'm going to argue it's not only because we didn't know it exists. 
It's because we've been accepting it as a risk for so long we forgot it exists because mm-hmm. it was unmanageable to manage. How what were you going to do? You're going to send a bunch of help desk guys around to 50,000 printers to change the password? Like, no. Yeah. No. You know what I mean? Like, and then that's, and then the cameras, and then the this, and then the that, and then the whatever, and then something breaks and someone's got to go change it. But I actually outsource, I don't even own my printers. I outsource from the Xerox, I blow everybody this, and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, if you can't solve that problem with software, you're going to move on to something else you can solve with software. Yeah. yeah, that's true. You got to do nothing, right? You're going to do nothing as it addresses that problem because there's no way for you to really address it in a in a meaningful way. You know, uh, I'll, I'll use this analogy, and I'm I'm stealing it from a oil and gas company that I was meeting with uh, in the in the Middle East about a month ago. But they they likened it to going to the dentist, right? So if you go to a dentist and they go, "Oh wow, looks like you've got some bad cavities," and you're like, "Well, fix them." Well. We're not here to actually fix your teeth. We're just telling you you've got some cavities. You're like, well, what do I do? And, you know, you got to go figure it out yourself. Um, And what they like about a preventative approach when it comes to XIOT is it's like, hey, it can tell you you've got a cavity. But even before you get the cavity, it's going to do the brushing and the flossing and everything else that you need to do to prevent you from actually getting it. And they said... When we're talking about not even 50,000 devices, but hundreds and hundreds of thousands of devices without prevention... We just can't even look at it. It's just not even doable. And to your point, Jay, we're not going to have a football team full of people armed with paper clips to go around resetting all these devices that we don't even know what we have, what they do, what they're running. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a net zero. Um, so that that's great to hear that you're you're seeing similar things. Uh, what what I'm wondering actually is, you know, again, you're you're seeing everything from the new vendors and new products and what's hot and what's coming out. What are you seeing from the threat landscape side? Again, you 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 are a practitioner, you are a CISO, you've done all these you've done all these things, and you've seen the threat landscape morph and mature over the decades. What's what are some of the big threats now, or are they just the same threats we have had? In a way, they're the same threats. Um, you know, those don't go away. Um, what's what's gotten what's heightened it more, I guess, and piled on top of the same. Um, you know, is, is you're starting to see like this war in the Ukraine has definitely caused Russia to think about how they, uh, are, are operating differently, um, mm-hmm. you know, versus used to be Russia as a country, you would think about it from a, um, you know, like a geopolitical, more non-economic game perspective, cyber crime, mm-hmm. very different, obviously. Um, let's just say. Um, not going to specifics on the call like this was going to be forever recorded in, in history you know I have strong beliefs that that's uh, that's changed um, you know differently um, and, mm-hmm. and that's not going to that, that's not going to change as long as sanctions are in place as long and the sanctions are going to be in place for a long, long time after this war is over you know and so that's just going to forever change I think uh, superpower basically you know arguably probably the third biggest superpower so I think that's something that people have to be very mindful of number two so much of like what used to be a sophisticated attack is available, like, you know, for lease, you know, for very unsophisticated people for very low dollars with lots of upside, you mm-hmm. know? And so, you know, everyone for whatever reason, I always found it so fascinating. You know, we were, we would be doing like a, we had a I could say for five years, I had at least one or more three instant responses going off, going on across my portfolio of Blackstone, our portfolio of Blackstone, you know, and as soon as, but most of it's like just stupid stuff, but it's important things, you know what I mean? But it's not like 
a Chinese nation state actor just highly targeting you is coming after you necessarily. But everybody, for whatever reason, wants to believe they're so important that they're highly targeted by the Chinese or the Russians or the North Koreans or the Iranians or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in reality, you know, they're probably not. They're not that special, you know. <laughs> However, they are being targeted by somebody because, mm-hmm. you know, they want to make some money off of you and you're a low, you're a low in your fruit and it's an easy target, right? And, um, and I think the bar to kind of get in to do things that used to be highly sophisticated threat, act- threat actors has just lowered so much. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you can go online and get ransomware as a service and I can get like 20, I can get like eight by five tech support or 24 hour tech support <laughs> if I want to pay a premium for it is just amazing, you know? And um, so I can be really stupid and go launch a ransomware attack against people, you know? Right. Um, who knows? You know, yeah. I mean, so. Like I think that those uh the that that bar is just like lowered and so it's it opens up a lot of opportunities for um a lot of other threat actors who might not be sophisticated to do just as much damage. Yeah, yeah. And when you think in terms, Jay, of you know, CISOs and organizations trying to keep pace with that and, and let's say you talked about maybe CISO will have and you had this too, your top ten list and you, you know, and yes, it's fluid, some things are moving, but in general Maybe five of them are fairly solid that you're going to try to go do. When you look right now today, what is that top five list in terms of the CISOs you're talking to? And secondly, does that instruct whatever's on that list? Does that instruct how you go view venture opportunities or do you, do you kind of separate those two in some way? No, ways? no, no. They're very much, again, we, okay. we think about our investment very much how we would build a program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we were running a, a, a Fortune 500 company security program today. Um, look, it's all about shrinking your problem, right? You want to shrink your footprint, shrink your problem down to something that's manageable, right? So you want to you want to minimize that attack surface area, right? So mm-hmm. again, we're speaking to these preventative controls and different kind of walls and different layers and whatever that you can that you put in place um, so that you can, you know, limit your attack surface exposure, shrink your problem down to something that you can put your hands around. And so, you know, your top five are going to revolve around things like that. In addition to compliance or regulatory drivers, unfortunately, that you have to meet mm-hmm. um, that may or may not make you more secure, um, you know, and then the, 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 the one exception, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate, but like, Ransomware is probably in your top three of any company in the world yep. today. Yep. It, it just is. It, it's, a, it's a big problem. It's not going away. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a distraction than anything, but it's a big problem that has to be solved. Yeah. You know, and I think um, I'll tell you, like, it's just a matter of time before you see a big ransomware from XIOT. Uh, you know, I, maybe maybe you guys are aware of something I'm not mm-hmm. aware of when it's actually happened. I'm not aware of it, but can you imagine? I mean, the only reason why it hasn't happened yet is because Windows is just too easy, right? But as soon as mm-hmm. Windows gets a little bit harder, and fortunately, we're also trying to make it harder through some of our companies, um, you know, like think about like what happens if all of a sudden, you know, you have 50,000 uh, endpoints, but you got, you know, 2 million XLT devices and I don't know, any percentage that's measured in whole numbers isn't available. (laughs) It's just a huge problem that's waiting on the horizon, right? Mm -hmm. So getting ahead of that, I think, you know, if I were still a CISO, I would would really be thinking about that. I'm not trying to to pitch you. It's the whole reason why Mm -hmm. we're here today, why we believe in what you're doing. Yeah. So. 
Well, Jay, we could go on for hours and hours, but I I do want to ask you one last question before we wrap up here. And it's kind of double clicking a little bit on the statement you just made there. So uh, for a CISO that's listening into this podcast or, you know, somebody that's just hands-on keyboard security operator, and they're just now starting to really get a sense of, you know, XIOT is something that I've got to start really paying attention to, whether it's because it could attack my IT assets, it can have a physical impact, shutting down power or, uh, you know, spying on me through cameras and audio equipment or on the OT side. Uh, and they're just starting to think about it. What? Where should they start? How, you know, what, what, what's the best way for them to say, okay, I, I realize XIOT is an issue. What do I do now? What, what should be my next step as, as a security leadership in my company? Yeah. So for starters, don't go try to figure out how many devices you have. I know some of the most sophisticated uh, CISOs in the world think they have X and they have X times significant more. I know anyone mm-hmm. that's gotten it right, including myself. Okay. Um, but discovering the device isn't, doesn't help you really. Now you just know your problem's bigger than what you thought it was. To me, the first step to prevention is to take control of that device. And how do you take control of that device? You rotate the password. You get off default password, right? And mm-hmm. if you could just eliminate the default password risk and understand that you have control of that device and you know that that password's been rotated some kind of complex way, you're probably deterring the vast majority of, you know, the noise out there that's going to come after you, you know, that's not going to deter that, na- that, that nation state, but that's a totally different level of sophistication. Mm-hmm. From there, you, there's all kinds of other creative things you can do and you should do around firmware upgrades and all this kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah. That's a whole different process. And you should totally think about that. But as far as starting somewhere, I want to get like that. I want to get that. I want to get my password, control my device I want to rotate my password. I want to onboard that into my PAM. And I want to put that, make that part of a standard IT operations that I run today for the rest of my organization. Like just standardize. Don't do do anything that we were doing for everything else. It's it's mind-boggling to me that we haven't gotten there sooner, um, but we have in this industry. Um, And I think that'll just simplify your life. That's about driving operational efficiencies. It's a process you already use today. Um, And that's where I would start. Yeah. Well, and Jay, you know, we... uh we we launched phosphorus labs just last you know recently and, and issued a, our threat report and one of the things we we outline in there is that 50% of all these xiot devices are deployed with default passwords the other 50% good news bad news they may have been changed but they were changed at the point they were deployed and never touched again and usually with a password that you can pretty much easily guess so I think your advice is very sound. I think Brian would agree. We hear this. We've heard this multiple times. And although we can go and update the certificates, we can harden the devices to shut off Telnet and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and other extraneous ports and protocols. We can do go do firmware, all those things. But as you said, it comes down to very first, at a minimum, let's rotate and update the credentials. And I think incredibly sound advice, right, Brian? I think something we've heard before, right? Yeah, and we didn't rehearse that one. Uh, that's just my opinion. I'm glad to know we're aligned because you start talking, I was like, "Oh crap! Did I say something wrong?" <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it, it, it isn't. You know, we it, we've been saying this in security since people started talking about security, but it's always get back to basics and this and that. But mm-hmm. uh, the analogy we always use for XIOT is XIOT security today is kind of like IT security was in the early '90s. It was mm-hmm. it, it's, it's pretty basic stuff. What do I got? 
<laughs> you know, what's it run, running? Are, does it have a good password? Is, are, is it patched? So on and so forth. And the other side of the equation that you don't really see so much on the IT and cloud side, which is kind of interesting, are these banned devices, right? These mm. devices like Huawei and HKE and Hikvision and things like that, that the US government has just now said, look, you, you can't sell these in the US. You can't even import them anymore um, because they have a propensity to spy on people with audio and, and video, and you can't really shut it off. And it, it streams that to some location that's being mined. And uh, one of the features that's really interesting about our product, and again, I don't want to pitch product here, but I think it's a really cool thing for folks to know about is if you have these devices in your environment, they're insecure. You can't patch it. You can't rotate the passwords to fix it. You can't do anything to fix it because the underlying code is built with malicious intent. So what you need to do is you need to brick it. So one of the things that uh, our solution does is intentionally we'll go out and discover these devices and say, hey, you have 300 of these devices that are known to be malicious from the manufacturer. Do you want to you want to brick them? Yes or no? And hopefully the answer is yes. And then you can go out and replace them with, with new gear. But that's not, that's not something people had ever had to really think about in any other category than this mm -hmm. that I know of. Yeah. No, it's, that totally makes sense. So, well, that's a uh, that's a new feature. I didn't know you guys did that. So, learn something new every day. Yeah, that's uh, it. It is a new feature, and I think for you know government agencies, and of course that that FCC rule was not just for government, but it was actually for everybody. And even they they even stated for the persons of the United States. Um, so, I think something like that could could really help, but. But uh, amazing, uh, such a fascinating discussion, Jay. It was so awesome to have you with us today. And uh, so thank you really so much uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Brian. But Jay Leak, man, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contes. And we'll see you next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast. Podcast.